Most people, when they think of research, probably imagine scientists in white lab jackets diligently working at cluttered benchtops to cure cancer. Personally, I like to visualize Will Smith in the movie I Am Legend curing the zombie apocalypse in his home lab. Indeed, there are a lot of people doing benchtop research, and a lot of brilliant people working to cure cancer for that matter. However, depending on the type of research, the process can vary quite a bit. With new technology and our ability to store more information, every year more and more large data sources become available that allow research to use data that they themselves did not collect, and sometimes use data for research that were initially intended for some other purpose altogether. Some of these new emerging sources of data include disease registries, national health surveys, data from health records, and administrative healthcare data, often referred to as claims data, because the data consists of healthcare service claims, basically billing receipts. To be clear, these data are not simple Excel spreadsheets. They can be massive, upwards of hundreds of millions of rows, and to analyze them requires specific skills. For researchers that use large pre-existing data to study health and healthcare, the research process has very much evolved to be a team-based activity. While the lead researcher, typically called the principal investigator, might design the study, data analysts do the hard, careful work of working with the data. Some projects are so complex, it can take a year more just to create a data file needed to do a study. Health data analysts are an elusive bunch in the wild. While we see their names periodically show up as middle authors on manuscripts or in the acknowledgement section, they work largely behind the scenes. They don't come from any one specific background, and they spend a lot of time working alone on the computer. Yet they play a vital role in doing research that use large data. In this episode, we're going to dive into the secret life of a health data analyst. I'm Matt Davis. And I'm Donovan Most. You're listening to Mining Memory, a podcast devoted to exploring research on Alzheimer's disease and other related dementias. We're joined today by Julie Strominger, Jonathan Martindale, and Mohamed Kabeto. Each work on productive research teams here at the University of Michigan that study dementia using a variety of different types of large pre-existing data. Experience as a data analyst among them range from being new to the field to more than 20 years of experience. They come from different backgrounds and each have their own story for how they became a health data analyst. So just to start things off, let's first go around and talk about your backgrounds. Tell us a little about your training before you became an analyst. Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm Julie, and prior to becoming a data analyst, I received my bachelor's in statistics with a minor in geography, and then I also received my master's in biostatistics. After I graduated, I worked for a research lab studying environmental health for a few years, <clears throat> and I also worked in clinical trials for about a year or so before um, I made my return back to more academia-based research working at the VA as a data analyst. I'm Jonathan. Um, I started uh, on a track in um, social sciences research and in, in like social psychology. Uh, in my undergrad, I got involved in a couple different labs. Um, and there was this one mentor who had just really pushed me towards like research side and PhD. And so I, I was go heading towards that route and I finished my undergrad with a, with a degree in psychology and, a, and 
um, a minor in statistics. And I worked in a lab for a little bit and I realized that the PhD life wasn't for me, um, but I found that I was really interested in um, kind of moving on to, to more advanced pieces of the, of the research. Um, and so what that meant for me was uh, more technical skills. And so I, I decided to go back uh, to school and I got my master's of health informatics. Uh, really focused on programming and data analysis. And then um, just last year, uh, finished that and started working as, a, as an analyst full-time. Hi, my name is uh, Mohamed Kabato, and then I've been uh, my undergraduate math and and then more of like kind of applied math. And, uh, and then I got my master's degree from the University of Michigan School of Public Health, and, and then since then, I'm just uh, working for analysts, and which is very interesting, working for the last uh, over 22 years. So, Mohammed, when you um, think about getting your master's degree, um, I guess, did you know that a position like an analyst even existed, or how did you end up getting to this as a career? Uh, interesting. Thank you for that question. Yeah, it, 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 while I was an uh, undergrad, uh, and then I was just interested in doing an applied math, I had no idea there was a biostat exist. And I know there is a stat because I was also doing some applied uh, math, which is a little bit of more stats, statistical analysis. And But I got a chance to participate in, in a summer program at Harvard uh, university to expose undergrad student to the biostat. Uh, and then I got a chance in, uh, for about six weeks and then to just work some analysis. That was the first time that I was also exposed to Stata. Uh, and then there was wonderful individual in that uh, School of Public Health, which is uh, Professor Louis Ryan. And then I think she is right now in Australia back to her country and so pushed me and then to just go to that route and then I will also come in here and then do my grad school and while I was working at the grad school I was also doing some analysis at ISR with uh, Dr. Uh, Jim Lavkowski and uh, some analysis and and then just that experience really pushed me to just involve in more analysis in them on that. And then after I completed, uh, start working with wonderful person, Kel Langa, he hired me. And as soon as that, I completed my uh, grad school. And then since then, and then I was exposed to different uh, discipline. And then that's what pushed me to just continuously and then enjoy working as analyst. So you have different backgrounds, obviously, which is not unusual, I think, for people that do this for a living. I was just curious, like, I guess for Julie and Jonathan, in terms of your backgrounds, I mean, how much did your initial training and background kind of prepare you to do what you do now? And how much did you just kind of have to learn on the job, so to speak? Yeah, that's a good question. I think in terms of my background, I would say I did feel very prepared programming wise, you know, the programs that I participated in were pretty heavy SAS programming, also some R programming. I think um, analysis wise, also pretty well prepared, but definitely, you know, I think it's a positive of becoming an analyst is that you are always learning. You're always 
you know, looking to see what's a new method, what's the best method that we can use to answer a question. And it does require learning on the fly. And so I would say my background prepared me well, but it's always, you're always learning. It's always, you know, you can't ever know enough. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good point of just this always learning mentality. Um, I came in with very little uh, programming knowledge in the specific language that I use most now, uh, which Julie mentioned as SAS. Um, I did a lot more work uh, in Python um, and a little bit in Stata, um, and I had some touches with R. Um, I think it's my training did seem really helpful, but it was really more of around a mentality standpoint of um, learning to think like a programmer. Um, and once you do that, and once you kind of understand that there's different ways to do things and um, kind of the general approach you should take and uh, how to Google the appropriate uh, uh, code and, and what you need to do for your specific problem, you know, learning a new language really isn't that hard. Um, it takes a little bit of time, but you know, if you if you have the basics down of of what you, sh you know, need to do theoretically, then then getting there in practice is is fairly simple. I, I would think that your background, even your masters, you described the inf informatics is probably one of the better things I could imagine. I mean, a lot of people become analysts after doing statistical degrees in statistics or you know econ, but yours like was informatics. I mean, it seems like a pretty good set of skills to sort of develop to do this work. Yeah, um, and I focused uh, more on data analysis and stats than I think a lot of my classmates did, knowing that this was the route that I wanted to take. Um, and so that's what led me to a little bit of, of touch points with like uh, Stata and SAS, but just not that much. Um, but yeah, it was, re it was really a training in thinking, I think, more than uh, specifically like this is uh, this you know, program you're going to use and these are the exact ways you're going to use it. So, so this is a, a question for you, Jonathan, because you're, you're relatively new, right? You're, mm -hmm. this is your, in your first year still or second year, first year? Uh, first year, I'm coming up on my one year, uh, full-time anniversary here. Uh, okay. So w when you go home for the holidays and your Nana asks you to describe what you do for work, what do you say? And I don't know if you have a Nana, but what do you, what do you, I guess, how do you explain to a family member what you do for a living? Oh, I usually start by saying that it's kind of boring. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I say that not that it's boring for me, but I, I think the, when I describe it, and I if I were to hear someone describing it, I would think that it's boring. Uh, I guess what I say is uh, that I, I, I'm working with these people who have different ideas for research, and I'm trying to to put their ideas into something that's tangible and that we can use to, to answer some question. And that's a really like abstract way to say it. And then I guess if, if someone asked me about the nitty gritty, I, I would say, well, I'm, I'm working with a number of different files and trying to figure out what everything means and how to put it together in a way that makes sense. Um, and so I have this back and forth with uh, the, the people I'm working with to ask them questions of what exactly they want so that I can program it in a specific way and get them, uh, you know, this this end product. It's probably just easier to say um, we're curing dementia. Just leave it there. Sure. Yeah. <laughs>
I'll ask this next question of Julie. So for, first disclaimer is that I have the great pleasure of uh, having Julie be the analyst on my team. Uh, so Julie, I might regret saying this and you should forget this question after you answer it for me. Um, but you could easily find work that would probably be higher paying in a non-academic setting. So why haven't you done that? Please don't do that. But why haven't you done that? <laughs> I will not. Um, yeah, I think that you know, the work we do is rewarding on so many more levels than just the amount of money we're paid. You know, we're working with not only a group of people that are intellectually stimulating, right? It's really interesting to have these conversations about, you know, older adults with dementia and how we can improve their lives, but also just the fact that we are bettering people's lives. That's something that, you know, we're all working towards collectively. And I think you know, I have some experience in industry. And while that also is interesting, you know, a lot of times the goal there is to make money or keep, you know, the bottom, look at always the bottom line. Also, I think that there's a lot of room for creativity in academia. So as Jonathan was mentioning, you know, he's, tr we're trying to fi figure out how to answer these questions, how to put these files together. It really takes a lot of thought, planning, uh, I think creativity too, in terms of what analysis you're using or how you're, you know, thinking about things. And um, I don't think that necessarily there's a lot of time or room for that in other industries. Let's get into what it's like to be an analyst. So Mohammed, you've been an analyst for a long time here at the University of Michigan. So I'm curious, like, what is a typical day like for you? And to what degree are you working kind of you know, independently versus kind of interacting with other teams of analysts? Yeah, it, when I started working with uh, Dr. Kalanga, and at initial stage, it's just like a communication and having like a weekly meeting. And that, that, that lets me to think every time now, when I start working, what is something that I need to do like at a week ahead or just like some of the uh, <clears throat> schedule that I put for different PIs? And the typical one is depending on those projects, but there's no day that I did not do without any data managing. Uh, the data cleaning part and then the data preparation part is, I would say, it's almost every day to there because that's what I think. That's what I, uh, most of my time at that. So my typical days, it's also involved that. Uh, the analysis part is also involved and then the meeting, the teamwork. And, and then I like to work with the team of individual and, and uh, uh as analysts, I'm also involved in, in a paper center that I work with Dr. Andre Galaki and, and then another analyst also as a team and uh, for any particular project. And then I also help that analyst and then do some of the, the project. So it, it is a combination of working alone, but for majority part, and then I do uh, work alone analysis. So, uh, Mohammed, for for listeners who might not be familiar, 
with what exactly data management entails. Could you just give maybe like one specific example of what's a data management task that you've done recently? That, that that's a good question, and 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 then for instance like that, for example, a data that involve HRS, which is health and retirement data, which we know this data has been collected since 1992, and and then every six years that they add a new cohort, it has been continuously been collected every two years. So this is a rich data set, not only that they collected this HRS data set, but there are any other supplemental data. And then also there are uh, HRS data linked with a different data, with the census data, with uh, uh, Medicaid data. And then all of those data are really pulling together. And it depends what the PIs are interested so pulling all those data set and, and it together, it is a big chunk of time is going to should be allocated for that. And then so it needs a lot of time. And then linking this data set, pulling appropriate uh, variables, even go back and then see corrected if there is any error on them, pulling it back and then constantly connecting, communicating with the PIs to pull those variables are really a key thing that is challenging, but also rewarding and at the end of the project or analysis. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, for future grant submissions, I want to like submit this podcast as an appendix because I think for people who aren't familiar with secondary data or observational data, there's this perception like, oh, the data is just there. You can just get going right away with your analysis. And I think people really don't understand just the enormous amount of work that um, has to happen with these types of data to get them into like a usable, analyzable format. One thing that I want to add into that is there is this thing like now sort of working all this time, like in a, in a group of us, three of us with the Andre, uh, Dr. Andre Kalakibian as a leading uh, and then also another analyst, we're trying to put a program that could be user-friendly for anyone who's going to use it to pull the HRS data set and then making it. It's just like this program is like in a working process with working it with SAS. And then uh, we are about one-tenth of the time it like now completed and then it'll be probably ready in a year. Let's let's uh, go with Jonathan. So, for uh, like say a given project that you've worked on in the past year, what's been the process in terms of actually designing and and doing the analysis? How how does that happen? What's it look like? Sort of the back and forth with the PI on that. Yeah, can I can I clarify? When you say analysis, do you mean like the the final like stats or this this entire project of putting it to, together? Let's say let's say the data management part's done, and so thinking more about the kind of the final get getting to the the paper, the manuscript. To me, I think Mohammed really really said it right. Most of my time is is spent as uh, data cleaning and management. When I get to the point where I have a final data set, the analysis portion is really quite fast, uh, relatively. Um, and usually, I guess I should say, in the, in the couple times I've done it, the, the PI has a, has a good idea of what they want to see. Um, and so getting to that point, it's uh, 
for me, it was, you know, making sure that I'm doing the right analysis, doing some quick Google searching and, and making sure it's the right thing. And then um, it was, uh, you know, just kind of output the numbers to a, an Excel spreadsheet and send it over. Something also that I wanted to add on that Jonathan has touched on twice now, I think, and is a really good point is that behind the an all of us analysts, there is a community of statisticians and analysts that are supporting us in it on Google and on Stack Exchange. I can't say how many times, probably at least what, four times a week, I'm Googling something just to see, you know, what other people have said. There's a famous biostatistician at Vanderbilt, Frank Harrell. He will actually respond to questions on Stack Exchange and you can go and search his responses. So very helpful. Sounds like a global community all helping each other out there. Yeah. You know, on our podcast, we have different people listening. And I suspect that, you know, given that we're talking to analysts today, that we have some principal investigators listening in. All right. And as you know, research now is a team based thing and people have different perspectives, different objectives, and just different backgrounds. So I'm curious, like, I guess, Julie, like, I mean, what should principal investigators know in terms of like, how to make the process as smooth as possible when they work with an analyst? And, you know, what type of information or guidance do you need to make the process as easy as possible for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been thinking about this uh, for the past couple of days. And I think, you know, number one is having a straightforward research question, I think. Um, and I, you know, think that's definitely number one, starting with that. Um, I think, and I guess it would probably depend on the team and who's an expert on what data sets, but having an idea, obviously, of what data we're going to use, um, maybe some papers that have looked at similar outcomes, analyses, always very helpful. Um, and I think, as Mohammed touched on, clear communication. So, you know, meeting every week, discussing the plan, where you're at in the project, where you see it going forward, setting Setting some goals, I think, at those meetings, um, whether it's explicitly stated or not. And then I think Donovan touched on this too, but understanding that data cleaning takes a long time. Um, even after doing this for almost eight years, I still try to add 20% onto the data management part of it, even past what I think it's going to take. So I think the invest it's important for the investigator to understand that that part does take time and it's very important because the quality of your analysis is only as good as the quality of the data that you've constructed i would like to add just only one thing that is just like yeah she julia touched all that involving the analyst in the statistical design stage is really important for that analyst to connect the research question with the design and, and then also I will also emphasize sharing some uh, prior research related to the current one is also really important. So I've had the opportunity to work with analysts over the years. And one thing that I've always tried to do, which I felt like was helpful, or was, was just try to mock up tables and figures for a research article as soon as possible. I found that like once I show that to the analyst that's working with me, like, then it becomes clear. And then all of a sudden the analyst can start kind of working to help me get to that end goal. Do you guys find that helpful or? Oh yeah, that that is my question always, even for the abstract 
even not only for the just paper for the abstract and then i'll just ask you know just mock table it, it seems a lot easier than trying to describe it you know when you show it you know what you're imagining yeah so if you were an analyst recruiter uh, like who 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 would you be targeting to recruit like what types of people do you think would uh make a good analyst yeah i think um two qualities come to mind uh people who are happy to be detail oriented uh and people who um are really inquisitive um i guess i might might add on quick learners uh, so so someone who um wants to keep learning and wants to um expand their skill set um by figuring out how to do this this new thing that they haven't learned how to do before um and then who is also really diligent with making sure that this new thing that they're implementing is actually doing what it's supposed to be doing, um, doing these data checks and running that back constantly to make sure that you're, what you're putting out is actually what you want to be putting out. Uh, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I think someone who's not afraid to get into the weeds of, you know, I'm looking at this R package, I need to figure out exactly what the defaults are for each call. It, you can't just run something without understanding all the other, you know, the implications that that has. And one thing that I would like to add is, as we have been just uh, focusing and then also saying a lot that the, the analysis spent time more the data managing and the preparation stage, that is a tedious. And then someone who should be patient enough to work and then on that is very, very important. And, and then especially in, in a, in a Julian to Janet and, and then for someone who uh, graduated or came from Bastad or Stad thinking that they're going to do the analysis and part. But a big chunk of time is just like a data preparation time. So someone has to be patient enough to work on that is it's a key. And then whenever that I... Uh, requested to help them recruit a person. And then that is the one that I really emphasize. The analysis the analysis part is just like as Jonathan said, and then it's going to take a small amount of time and then they can learn it even through uh, experience and then just like keeping that the data managing and then the preparation time is a big chunk of time that I emphasize a lot. So can I ask a quick follow-up? So um, one could imagine uh, that the skills of an analyst and a data manager in some ways are separate and distinct. And so how important is it, do you think, and in some ways maybe a, the the best use of the analyst's time is not on data management. Um, do you all think, you know, if you could only do analysis, would you do that? Or do you think to be a good analyst, you have to still continue doing some of the management yourself? I would like to do the data managing part. If I do know the data that I created very well, it is going to be easy for me to do the analysis. I mean, it could, and a good example that I would give is, like, you know, if someone has a data created by someone, that person left the job. If uh, you come and then ask me, you know, can you do this? 
it is going to take me time to just orient myself to the data that is already created. Sometimes I prefer even to create myself that data again. And, and so the data part of the creating, the data part is very, and I, I mean, I call it for the analysis, it is very important. I just want to pick up on something, you know, that, that idea of being detail oriented, I see that as like so important um, for what you guys do. Um, I, I remember like, I mean, just the smallest thing can mess up an entire data set. And, and sometimes I, I like to joke that we talk about this thing we call the laugh test, right? It's sort of like when you do your first pass and you're looking at simple things, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because I've had data files sometimes, you know, provided to me where the analyst kind of wraps things up and says, here's your data file. And there's like, you know, a 2% prevalence of a condition that I know is, you know, 25%. And I'm like, that can't be right. And it came down to like a really simple thing. So, you know, I, I see that like, it's just so easy to mess up data. I don't know if the public really understands that. And especially if you're working under time constraints and you've got to stay focused, those little things really do matter. And I was just thinking like, I mean, a couple of you in particular have done this for a long time with the same team, how how important trust is, I suppose, you know, once you have that relationship with, with the investigative team that you're working with and uh, just how important that is, you know, once, they, once, once you have that kind of bi-directional trust in terms of that you know that you're working on, you know, an important, good project. And at the same time, they're trusting that you're, you know, being careful and, and diligent in all your work. Last question, we can start off with Julie and kind of go from there. Just a general question. I guess we're curious, like, I mean, what do you like about your job? And what are the challenges? I enjoy the team that I work with. I think that, you know, I've been working with them now for five years. And it is really nice to have that trust that you just talked about having been built. You know, I think that that is especially when you start out on a team that is such an important thing um, to think about. And I think it's extremely rewarding. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, we're all working together to improve the lives of older adults with dementia. That's the end goal. I personally enjoy data management also quite a bit. So it's kind of like a puzzle. So I Love when I have blocks of time that I can just get into the data, start looking at things. Does it make sense? And I guess I would also kind of the challenges develop as I gain more experience in this area because I feel like recently, you know, we, Donovan and I have been talking a lot sometimes, I guess, about, you know, just we're using secondary data to answer questions. And so the challenges really relate to using secondary data to answer these questions, there are inherent biases that come with the fact that we're using secondary data. For example, there's research suggesting that, you know, older adults in rural areas are, are diagnosed with dementia later relative to urban areas. Um, and then I would say just an add on, I think in particular, I would also say an ongoing challenge is estimating the amount of time it does take to clean data because there are always issues that come up that you aren't expecting. And I think sometimes I personally can get really attached to timelines. And so just having some flexibility in my mind that there are going to be issues that come up, always add 20% to the estimated amount of time I think it'll take. For me, and, and, and the interesting thing is just like a, a teamwork and then working with Kellanga for the, the, the last 22 years and, and, and then f 
for him to just bring a new team that I work with, and and and, and then it is really rewarding. And and then also with the, working with a different uh, discipline. And it could be dementia. It could be which is a stroke. It could be cancer, and then and, and all this different discipline that I work with. It is just. Uh, rewarding and and then very and, and I really enjoy working on it. The challenging part is in though working with a different discipline or a different PI, the challenging part is it's managing the time, which project that you're gonna just work on and then which team that you're gonna just like complete first and then all this it's challenging and and uh and the other one is just like to understand and uh, the subject matter. And and then I would like to do as much as I can. Like, you know, if it is dementia and, and then the, the, the pathophysiology part of it, and that would help me to do my job is I tried as much as I can to understand it. And, and then sometimes I start and, and then not completing it. So that is a challenging part that I would really want to pick it up and, and then learn more about. I mean, I'm just going to kind of build on what uh, Julian Mohammed said. Uh, my my favorite part is this kind of puzzle uh, piece of the project where you're trying to, to put um, different data sets together and figure out how they work and what your end product should be and how to get there. Um, and it, I think it's really fun uh, when you have these different um, projects or PIs who have different ideas of what they want to do. And so you just get these different perspectives of what's interesting and um, how you can do different things with the same data. Um, it keeps it fresh for me. And then I guess for, for difficulties, it's kind of uh, similar to what Mohammed said on um, kind of knowing your subject matter. Um, I, I recently started a project that's not in dementia. And I, I realized that even over the last year of working, like, uh, Matt, you mentioned like the, the laugh test, like, when you when you transfer to something new, like, what's your bar for uh, the laugh test, you don't know what should be there. So you have to start looking into it more and asking more questions of you know, what should I be seeing? And then you're, you know, that might get you communicating more with the PI, um, showing them intermediate numbers of like, okay, these are the number of people that I'm identifying with um, rheumatoid arthritis, for example. And does this match your expectation roughly or is something wrong here? Well, this has been great. Mohammed, Julie, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed our discussion today, please consider subscribing to our podcast. Other episodes can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud, as well as directly from us at capra.med.umich.edu, where a full transcript of this episode is also available. On our website, you'll also find links to our seminar series and data products we've created for dementia research. Music and engineering for this podcast was provided by Dan Langa. More information available at www.danlanga.com. Minding Memory is part of the Michigan Medicine Podcast Network. Find more shows 
at uofmhealth.org slash podcast. Support for this podcast comes from the National Institute on Aging at the National Institutes of Health, as well as the Institute for Healthcare Policy and Innovation at the University of Michigan. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the NIH or the University of Michigan. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back soon.